Hi, this is Panel Beater and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page. Hey everybody. Hi, Hi Dr. Dr. Nick. <laughs> yes, hello everybody. It's Dr. Nick here again. And welcome to Radiotherapy Live online and on podcast. Oh, I've seen medical facilities with less COVID safe policies than we have here at Triple R. <laughs> Management have been actually really impressive putting in place all the right measures. We've got sanitizer everywhere, we've got microphone covers. I'm actually being covered with detergent from head to toe <laughs> as I sit down. <laughs> Uh, so it's all very impressive, but sadly that also means there's only one person per studio, guests on the phone, which means that Panel Beater is beavering away, not quite out of sight, definitely not out of mind. Um, hi, Panel Beater, can you see me over there? Good morning, Dr. Nick. Yes, I can um, I can see you. Um, it is a pretty impressive operation we've got here with the sanitation and uh, and the and the risk management. Yes, without sounding too sycophantic, it actually is true. I mean, I have been to medical workplaces who are much slower putting together their processes than they were here at Triple R. So um, shout out to the management. Well done. So <laughs> joining us on the phone today will be radiotherapy regular Prudence Dear. Um, she'll be talking to Glenn Hosking from Victoria University. Glenn is a clinical psychologist senior lecturer at VU and he'll be talking to us about Are You OK Day? Helping us think about the question about, well, once you've asked someone if they're OK, then what? Very interesting. We're looking forward to that one. Later in the show, we'll be having regulars misdiagnosis. We'll be looking at what makes us happy and why bronze is sometimes better than silver. Rainbow Doc will be following up last time's on-air mindfulness exercise with a discussion about walking mindfully and doing everything else mindfully. Can't wait for that one. But before we get to them, we have some news. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. It's news time now. Panel beta, um, and, and hopefully we've got Prudence on, um, on the line as well. Can you hear us, Prue? We'll see if Prudence can get through to us. But Panel Beater, I want to I want to make a confession that I got something horribly wrong. Oh dear, what was that? <laughs> well, um, at the start of this whole COVID thing, there was this uh, stampede for people to come and get their flu vaccinations. And we were very keen that people got protected because we really did not want people getting the flu uh, and COVID at the same time. We wanted to make sure that the wards were kept clear of flu cases. So we vaccinated like crazy early on in the piece. And I was a little bit concerned. Oh, I think we've, we've got Prue here, I think, again now. So Prue, I just want to hear your voice. Hello. Prudence, oh, okay, we'll get I her voice on this. I think, she's, I think she's got herself muted at the moment. Well, she's a, she's a shy, retiring thing, but I'm sure she'll come out of her shell in just a moment. Anyhow, going, <laughs> going back to the flu, um, one of the things about the flu vaccine is that the immunity can wear off quite quickly. So I was a bit concerned if we were vaccinating people back in April, whether when we came to the usual flu spikes in August and September, we might suddenly see an outbreak of the flu. Well, how wrong could I be? 
anyone who's keeping an eye on the news will know that flu case, cases have plummeted. Um, until this time last year, we had um, last year we had over sixty thousand cases of the flu, um, and so far this case uh, this year we've only had. 430 and no no flu deaths since April. So flu has really been wiped out almost completely by our measures to keep away COVID, which is a wonderful success um, and a perfect example of what we probably should be doing, and not, not to this detailed extent, but throughout winters anyway. I mean, uh, Panel B, did you normally um, get together with people who are sniffly and coffee and that sort of thing in, in previous winter times? Um. Look, yeah, I think I probably do. I Look, I'm one of those people who just seems to never... I don't get the flu for some reason, <laughs> um, and which means it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, but yeah. Well, maybe you're one of these wise people who gets vaccinated and then stays safe. Yeah, but, it could be. <laughs> but it's just a, a perfect reminder of how reducing infectious diseases by um, our simple measures of a bit of physical distancing, careful hand hygiene, mask wearing when sensible. If we could keep that up through flu seasons in years to come, we could make a massive difference um, because the, the number of flu cases every year is absolutely terrifying. Over 300,000 cases yeah. last year, um, over 1,200 deaths in 2017. So we kind of forget how significant, and this is a disease for which we have at least a partially effective vaccine. Yeah. I, it, what, what's, what do you predict, um, Dr. Nick? What's going to be the consequence out of this? Well, I, I think what's going to happen from the flu point of view is this year we're not going to have an epidemic. I don't think we will have an outbreak here in, in Australia because the flu season normally starts to subside fairly quickly, middle end of September, and by the end of October, even in years where we have nothing to do with COVID, normally the flu numbers are dropping right off. So we're almost there already with very few flu cases. What will happen in future years, we have wait to see. But, yeah. I, but I hope we keep some of our sanitising habits, a uh, bit of physical distancing, yeah. maybe masks wet and sensible. I think that could be a long-term very effective strategy. I suspect you're right. I mean, uh, it just even and I know I'm not the first to say this but looking, uh, just watching a television program of people not wearing masks or gathering groups, <laughs> it's already looking odd and weird. As it, Why wouldn't you be wearing a mask? Doesn't it feel weird yeah. when you see groups of people all together at a party or yeah, something like that? Yeah. It's, it's now really counterintuitive, isn't it? So I think there's it's all always good to have a little bit of a silver lining to what's been otherwise a pretty dark and murky COVID cloud uh, and the reduction in flu numbers is one of those silver linings. Um, we'll be coming back after the break. We'll be we'll be talking with Prudence. <laughs> we will get properly with us. Um, and we'll be talking uh, with Glenn Hosking from Victoria University about Are You OK Day after these messages. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. The person we're hoping Prudence is going to be interviewing with us is um, Glenn Hosking from Victoria University. So let's see if we've got Glenn on the line. Hi, Glenn. Are you there? Morning. <laughs> yeah, apologies for the technical glitches. This is the COVID reality we're in. Hopefully, not the new COVID normal we have to move towards. Um, but, um, Glenn, let me just get you to introduce yourself so that uh, the listeners know who you are. Uh, so, I'm a clinical psychologist um, in Melbourne and also 
uh, an academic uh, psychologist at Victoria University, um, where I work uh, teaching people uh, to be uh, psychologists and uh, teaching the uh, postgraduate program. Excellent. Uh, and uh, I think we've got... <laughs> oh, she's disappeared on us again. So, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to start this off and see how we go. <laughs> Um, so, Glenn, um, Thursday was Are You OK Day. Um, tell us, for people who don't know what that's about, just briefly what Are You OK Day is about, where it came from. Yeah, look, Are You OK Day is a day that's um, uh, become a really important part of the mental health calendar uh, over the better part of the, the last 10 years. And it's certainly a, a, a movement to invite people to ask others, uh, are they okay? But also for people when they're experiencing difficulties or um, you know, struggling at, at any given time to, uh, to reach out uh, and get support, uh, helping people to uh, be able to uh, get in touch with uh, particular kind of services and to start a conversation um, about uh, difficulties that they're experiencing. And where did it come from? What was the initiative for IOK Day? Look, I don't know specifically uh, where it uh, has come mm-hmm. from, but it certainly does coincide with uh, National Suicide Awareness Day um, and uh, I believe is uh, something of a, a, a program that developed out of that. And um, obviously suicide is very much in the forefront of our minds always. It's been particularly so during the time of covid um, What's what's the effectiveness? Do we have any idea whether Are You OK has Are You OK Day has been a useful intervention? Look, I don't know um, of any specific research uh, around this, but uh, it is certainly um, known that a stigma around mental health and a stigma around mental illness does uh, prevent people from. Uh, speaking about difficulties that they're having, accessing support services that are found to be helpful and are known to be uh, effective. And um, that uh, one of the big things that is a, a strong um, predictor of, of suicide is, um, uh, is isolation. And so any kind of um, measure uh, that can assist uh, people to access and uh, achieve a level of social support is certainly going to be effective in um, reducing the, uh, the, the impact of, of troubles on people and, and to reduce uh, suicide. Which absolutely makes sense. And uh, just while we're starting, I should mention that if talking about this raises issues for anyone who's listening, uh, the lifeline number is 131114. That's lifeline on 131114. So um, keep that in mind if that's a, a help you need. Um, I just need to check with you. Um, I just need to check with you, Glenn. Um, are you OK, Day? I've heard people say, oh, that's the wrong question because it's much easier to say. Oh, yeah, I'm okay. Shouldn't it be? Are you not okay? Well, well, I, one of the big things around this is helping people to um, appreciate that it is okay to not be okay, and that uh, that people, particularly uh, at this time, who are, are experiencing a huge array of difficulties uh, as a result of the climate that we're living in, uh, are likely to experience difficulties and are likely to, to experience this sense of, of not being okay. And so it is really important that 
uh, people appreciate, that it is okay to not be okay. And if a friend says to someone else, how are you going and are you okay? And they say, actually, I'm really not. Mm. Uh, people can then feel really stuck. Oh, now what do I do? Um, how on earth do I respond? Um, do you have any tips for people when someone says, no, I'm not okay, what the next step should be? Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is a really important thing because it's great to ask, are you okay? But what happens then? What happens if people don't um, then, you know, indicate that they're not okay? Absolutely. So one of the big things around this is to really appreciate, uh, if you're the listener, that you don't need to solve the problem, that you don't need to find a solution, that, uh, in fact, one of the best things you can do is is be present for the person, is listen to the person and respond with empathy, you know, to be able to demonstrate that you can understand uh, a little bit about what they're experiencing. It's really important not to minimise, to not to uh, say things like, you know, someone, there's always someone worse off than you or it will get better. Sometimes it won't. And so it, it's important to, to uh, respond with empathy, to respond with understanding. But at the same time, don't rush to help the person to find a solution or to try and solve the problem for them. I think that's a re- yeah, really important piece of advice, isn't it? That uh, trying to fix things, trying to offer sort of pop psychology solutions is never helpful for people. Um, so, that, um, yeah, listening, it's amazing how effective that is, isn't it? Incredibly. You know, one of the really important things uh, for, for any mental health professional, the one of the first things that we teach is, is being present, uh, of listening without judgment, of showing empathy and showing understanding and, uh, and, and having a, an unconditional positive regard for the person. And so, you know, when, when we're listening to someone and when they're saying to us, look, I'm not okay, being there and, and demonstrating that lack of judgment and demonstrating that empathy and that understanding is so powerful uh, in helping them. I think that's a really important message, Glenn, and uh, for people listening who've been uncertain about whether this is a path they want to follow with friends, understanding that just asking those questions, empathising, saying, oh my God, that sounds terrible, you poor thing, is sometimes enough in that uh, initial intervention. But one of the questions that has come up is that there's a lot of uh, IOK targeted at workplaces, um, and this is maybe a difficult thing in a workplace context um, where you're talking to a colleague perhaps about mental health. Uh, do you think it's it, 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 IUOK Day fr- provides enough safety for someone in that kind of context to say, actually, no, I'm not? Look, I think that in, in workplaces and most workplaces and certainly most workplaces should have mental health support uh, for people that is confidential uh, where people can talk openly uh, about things and and obviously people's uh, individual circumstances differ depending on where they're working and uh, and uh, and maybe people don't feel comfortable uh, disclosing what they're experiencing because of uh, you know individual factors that are happening uh, in their workplaces but certainly accessing support services. And it doesn't have to be uh, an intense intervention that goes on for, for years and years. It can be a short-term intervention, you know, uh, you know, speaking with a professional one or two times that is confidential, is going to help uh, the individual. And so if people are concerned about uh, reaching out for support uh, in a workplace, it is 
um, important to access those kind of confidential services that um, will help and will assist. And can you give us some example of what those sorts of services are if people in this situation say, actually, I do need some help or uh, be good to um, having asked that question, someone says, no, I'm not okay, um, what, the, what the avenues might be that people could go down um, after the answer is, no, I'm not so okay? Yeah, so if they're in a workplace, then um, it's useful to consider what sorts of uh, workplace infrastructure is there to assist. And so most workplaces, as I say, will have um, EAP providers, employee assistance uh, programs, that uh, are there where people can access um, mental health support services um, provided by the organisation. So um, it it, um, would be advisable for the person to seek out um, what those might be. Otherwise, uh, there are, you mentioned uh, Lifeline, there are also um, Beyond Blue uh, have a range of services uh, available. But then there's also the the good old-fashioned GP and accessing the the GP and speaking to them about support services that uh, are available um, uh, that uh, people can see uh, psychiatrists and psychologists um, freely and, uh, and readily, and uh, there are a lot of rebates available through Medicare to access those, those kinds of services. So starting the conversation and exploring what sorts of things uh, are out there is going to be a, a really important and a good first step. Did you say old-fashioned GP? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you know, I, I guess I say that because most people are very familiar with accessing the, uh, the support from their GP and it's uh, sometimes a lot less confronting than uh, perhaps considering seeing a psychologist. I think it's actually a good reminder. It's also a good reminder that um, under COVID in, here in Victoria, you can get an extra 10 sessions subsidised for psychology uh, over and above the normal 10 that you get per year. So there is a little bit of extra availability. Um, That's right. We, we, we've talked about Lifeline. We've we've given the number. I'm just interested. Um, when we do programs like this, we always give out the number. Um, how effective do you think that is? I mean, it feels like we give out the number entirely appropriately in a conversation like this, but we give out the number sort of any time we touch on anything that's um, emotionally a little bit stirring. Uh, I sometimes wonder whether we're getting a bit oversensitised to this. Do you think that's the case at all? Look, I think that the evidence is that uh, conversations you know, like this or any kind of con- uh, conversation that might um, be... Uh, challenging for individuals are perhaps unlikely to initiate a, a mental health challenge in an individual that where it was not existing previously. But what we do know is that for some people there might be an underlying uh, or pre-existing condition that perhaps is sort of laying dormant or perhaps is kind of bubbling along. And discussions like this can act as something of a trigger that it doesn't necessarily cause the difficulty, but it might exacerbate it, it might uh, increase it, it might um, uh, reactivate uh, something that uh, has has been around for, for a person. And so uh, I think that that's important in, in that respect. Together with that, I think that it, it is an important thing in terms of uh, increasing that level of um, mental health literacy um, and, and increasing these kind of conversations about support uh, that is available that can act as something of a, a destigmatization of accessing um, 
support services. Um, and so, you know, I'm certainly of the view that uh, that exploring it and, and talking about it and giving out those kind of numbers are an important uh, thing for people. Thank you. I think that's really helpful. And uh, patients of mine who've spoken to Lifeline, I have to say the support they get, the help they get, seems to be extremely effective um, uh, they're, they're trained workers they um, in my experience they provide a very very good level of support so anyone who's skeptical um, I can tell you from other people's experience they they have been extraordinarily helpful um, it, one of the, one of the things that does concern us a bit is that a lot of the people with complex psychological issues mental health issues are people who may be unemployed often homeless may be exposed to family violence uh, often isolated and lonely and, and so what does RUAK Day offer to people like them? Because for a lot of those people, no one's going to be asking. Mm. Look, I think that, that that's such an important point, that um, there are a range of factors that increase vulnerability to mental health problems, and all of those factors that you mentioned there um, are, are really important ones. And, and it, it does... Um, certainly highlight the importance that we do reach out to those those vulnerable uh, communities. I think that there's a big discussion to have around the susceptibility to um, their overall health um, in the community that is and can be uh, largely uh, ignored um, or, or put into a bit of a too hard basket. And so I think that uh, it raises such uh, an important point that, that you know, it is a, a really big systemic issue mm. uh, to, to be addressed. And in your clinical work yourself, Glenn, how have you found this six months of COVID? What's changed? What have you noticed? Look, I mean, certainly um, the, the experience of, of people um, feeling isolated um, is, a, is a huge vulnerability uh, for people. And then, you know, you add on top of that uh, uncertainty that people have around uh, employment, um, uh, a lack of, of overall connection that they have with uh, friends and family. These are, are really um, key times um, for us to be reaching out and, and because these are really challenging times. Uh, for individuals and so it is a really um, challenging thing and what I'm certainly noticing is a, a big increase in uh, mood difficulties, a big increase uh, in uh, anxiety uh, related conditions um, uh, you know, and, and I mentioned before that um, what we often find is that things can sort of activate and reactivate things. I am mm. I'm seeing a lot of that with people that have experienced difficulties in the past and re-presenting uh, during this time because of uh, the challenges that are, uh, that are presenting themselves. Um, and so I will, will just say again that it is um, incredibly important that when people are experiencing these sorts of difficulties to reach out and access the support services that are available. Glenn, that has been so helpful. Thank you very much. And apologies for the technical glitches at the start, but I'm very grateful for your time. Um, keep up the good work and thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Dr Nick. Thanks. That was Glenn Hosking from Victoria University, clinical psychologist and senior lecturer, talking to us about Are You OK Day? Fascinating stuff. And again, if that's raised any issues for you, Lifeline's number is 131114. That's 131114. 
Uh, shortly, I'll be talking to Misdiagnosis. Uh, he'll be talking to us about what makes us happy and why just sometimes bronze is better than silver. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Hopefully on the phone we've got misdiagnosis and on Zoom we might even have prudence. Good morning, this is misdiagnosis. Misdiagnosis, lovely to hear your dulcet tones. How are you going at the moment? Oh, look, couldn't be better, Dr Nick. I'm at home, I've got a cup of tea, I've got my fluffy zippers on and I'm not at work. The fluffy zippers, it's a great concept. And Prudence, have we got you there as well? Yay, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little, little bit echoey, but we've got you here with us. Um, I'm sorry we excluded you from the conversation with Glenn there. It was all getting a little bit technically complicated. But there we are. We've got you now. Lovely to hear your voice. Uh, Misdiagnosis, uh, tell us what it is that's on your mind this week. Well, Dr Nick, the the week started in a little bit of a a slump for me, as I think it did for everyone else last Sunday with the announcement of a further lockdown. And it, it got me thinking, you know, why is this... Why is this so sort of hard to take such a bitter pill to swallow to be at home for another two weeks and, you know, with the sun shining, that kind of thing, why aren't we just feeling okay about this? And look, you know, there are lots of reasons. Obviously, that's a bit of a, a sort of silly question to ask because, of course, we're isolated. We can't do things, that kind of thing. But I did a little bit of research into one of the reasons we might be feeling quite so low about this recently. Oh, yes. And my research stumbled across something called counterfactual thinking. So... Bear with me with this one. If we look at the numbers of deaths across the world from coronavirus, we've got just under 200,000 deaths in the States. We've got, uh, you know, Italy, France and Spain all having around about the 30,000 death mark. And in Australia, about 800. So by all intents and purposes, we're doing pretty well by this, right? Yeah, I mean, by those statistics, of course, we're doing extremely well. Yeah, so why aren't we feeling better about it then? <laughs> if we're doing so well, um, you know, why do we all feel this with this lockdown? Why do we all feel this kind of sense of, you know, everything is dragging and everything is sort of boring and we can't really face getting up in the morning? Could it because and, everything's dragging, it's really boring and we can't face getting up in the morning? Yes. I, <laughs> and look, you know, there are a lot of reasons around that as well. But I ended up doing some research into this thing called counterfactual thinking, which mm. is essentially the psychology of what if. Now, the original research, which I found really interesting, and look, if anything, it just gave me something else to do at the moment, (laughs) um, was looking at Olympic medalists and how they felt. Now, you'd think that, you know, if we judge by those numbers, America, you've got 200,000 deaths, and then in Australia, we've got 800. Um, So if you're looking at those kind of numbers, in terms of feeling good about ourselves, you know, we're doing pretty well. We've got that kind of gold medal feeling of we're getting through this, whereas America's not really placing on the tally, on the ladder. Um, So then why do we feel, why do we feel so crap about it all? And what I sort of was formulating and thinking about is that there's this concept where it's actually the silver medalists that feel the worst in the Olympics medal panel. Now, just to, that, that's so counterintuitive. So explain that. Mm. Why would the silver medalist feel less good than, say, the bronze medalist? Yeah, so the thinking behind it, and what they did is uh, there's this fantastic little study where they went and they studied the facial expressions of all the, um, all the medalists 
um, in the 1990, I think it was 1992 Olympics. And it was this group, uh, Medivac, Madley and Gilovich, who did this study. And they and their assumption was that gold would be gold would be happier, silver next happy, and bronze would be sort of you know uh, down the bottom of the three, sort of happy but not quite as happy as maybe silver or um, silver or gold. But what they found was that being so close to that gold medal was actually more disappointing than just placing. So for the bronze medalist, just being up there was fantastic. They'd made it. They're standing on that podium. They're having a good time. And gold, of course, you know, wonderful. You've, you've just won a gold medal in the Olympics. It's sort of that's a it's a pretty happy thing. But for silver, they were just not quite there. Just not quite at the gold, and they would forever be in that second place. So I'm trying to extrapolate this to our other daily lives. Does that mean we should either strive to get? right to the top and succeed or we should give up and flounder around uh, near the also rands and be happier <laughs> so what the extrapolation that i took from this is i think at the moment in melbourne we all kind of feel like silver medalists so you know the rest of australia they're kind of in the gold they've gotten out of this they're having a nice time they're down on bondi they're wearing their masks occasionally but most of the time they're just having a nice time Whereas in Melbourne, we're not quite there yet. But we're also not, we're not as bad as it is everywhere else in the world currently. So by all logical sort of thinking, we should actually be pretty happy with where we are. But by this counterfactual thinking, we're doing that what if. What if we had just taken that job in New South Wales and not been here in Victoria? What if we'd managed to get out beforehand? What if you know, Victoria hadn't been the state that had been hit as hard as everywhere else? And the thing that's difficult about this is counterfactual thinking like this normally works around goal-oriented things. Mm-hmm. So making a silver, making a gold, that kind of thing. And at the moment with coronavirus, we don't have a lot of goals. Most things are being cancelled. You know, we don't have weddings, we don't have celebrations, we don't have after-work drinks or goals that we can actually get to or achieve. So a lot of this what-if thinking can be really counterproductive for our own happiness. So if we're moving into that sort of happiness or otherwise, um, a very vexed topic about which any number of sort of popular psychology books have been written, does this way of thinking give us some sort of indication about what we could do differently to make us feel less unhappy? Yeah, and, and so, so what I took away from this is that this counterfactual thinking is really useful when there is a goal. You know, you, you didn't quite make gold or you didn't quite make bronze or whatever, and you've decided, okay, next time I'm going to work on my triple tuck jump more and I'm going to practice, practice, practice until I can land that because that was the thing that tripped me up. At the moment, there really isn't a goal for us to do better at. There's nothing that we can perfect more to make this coronavirus go away. We can do our hand hygiene, we can wear our masks, but it's not like we're in a position um, to really work at something to get better at it. And I think that's where we're getting a bit stuck at the moment because all we have is this what if and this comparison. And we've got social media feeds full of people on Bondi or people in Greece or in London being let out, that kind of thing. And we're looking at it going, well, what about me? And, and what if and I'm stuck here? So I think what we, one of the things that I took away is that it's very easy to slip into this kind of feeling. But actually, it's pretty amazing what we're doing in Australia here. And even though in Melbourne we are the most locked up and it is really depressing, there's a lot that we have to be thankful for. And I think this is where mindfulness comes in. Aha, uh-huh, which we'll be coming to after the next break with um, Rainbow Talk. But I, but I wonder if it, um, what we're talking about is major, major goals like doing well with COVID. Isn't this where we we bring in the sourdough factor and we say, okay, we 
those major goals are out of our control. Mm. Let's uh, let's generate some much more at home, much more sim- simple, available kind of goals, which maybe we can get the gold medal in. Exactly, exactly. And this is where things like social media and the endless news cycle can be really unhelpful because all we're exposed to is comparison with other people, which is our what if. You know, what if we had gone on that holiday or gone here or done that? And instead, if we can take some time to physically be present in our own lives, to sit in our fluffy slippers in the garden with a cup of tea, to sit down with a book, turn off from that comparison to the outside world and try and absorb the time we're in right now, which is not easy. And and let me tell you, you know, I was talking to a friend the other day saying, I feel like I'm living behind the Iron Curtain with less um, you know, less persecution and more Uber Eats and Netflix, but, you know, there's no sort of countercultural raves that we can go to or edgy haircuts we can get behind to subvert the man because there's nothing to rebel against. You know, it is a really frustrating time. But I found the thing that's helped me, and from this research as well, it's that comparison, that taking you out of your current life to compare you to a different life, that's the thing that I think had been getting me down the most. So it sounds like the solution is to aim for cupcake gold and otherwise wear the fluffy slippers and turn off the news. I mean, that would be my advice. Aim for cupcake gold, sourdough gold. If you're gluten-free, maybe gluten-free macaron gold. <laughs> well, it sounds like pretty good advice to me, misdiagnosis. Thank you very much. That's a concept I had not come across before, that you're better off winning bronze than you are winning silver. Um, as someone who's never won a medal of any kind in my life, that is purely a theoretical concern. <laughs> uh, lovely to talk to you. You take care. Enjoy those fluffy slippers. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. And hopefully, we've got the warm, dulcet tones of Ra- uh, Rainbow Doc. Hi, Rainbow. Hi. How are you, Doctor Nick? I'm here. I'm here. I'm not. I'm not in a fish tank or wherever Prue is this morning. Oh, poor old Prue. I think she was being mangled by technology, and um, Zoom was doing things to her headphones and her speakers, and her her poor old brain scrambled her a bit. Poor thing. But there we are. She's a tough person. She will survive. It's lovely to have you here. Um, last time we were doing this, you did that beautiful mindfulness on air um, which almost led me to miss every cue because I was so zenned out uh, <laughs> concentrating on what was happening with the timing and so on so what are you talking to us about today? Well today because you know not everyone can take that time out not everyone can can sit back you know with kids running around or if you're having to drive somewhere or you know not everyone can can sit and and get into a mindfulness practice. But one thing that we are nearly all doing, or those that that are able to do it, is getting out and walking. Mm -hmm. Are you having your daily walk? I know you get on your bike, don't you, Dr. Nick? Yes, I've got my my dogs who insist on going for their walk, um, and they are very good at keeping me mindful, because if I pay attention to anything other than them, uh, and I'm not in the moment, uh, they'll be very unhappy with me. Yeah, so you go for a walk. I would, I'm, I'm encouraging people to get into mindfulness uh, on their walks. Now, this could be a walk just from one end of a room to the other room, from one side of a room to the other side of the room, but it's an opportunity to be mindful because we all get up and move in that way at some point in the day, do we not? And Sorry, you're talking about just walking for a few seconds, doing mindfulness in just a few seconds at a time? Explain. 
Ah, well, this is the point that most of the time when we're walking, and I see this all the time when I'm doing my, you know, my daily walk in the park, people are walking along in a very kind of automated fashion often. You know, I've got to do my walk, here I go. Um, and very unaware of the surrounds, sometimes unaware of other people even. You know, people are, I think we're getting better at it because of social distances, but distancing, but not particularly aware of others around us often. Mostly, mostly um, what seem, people seem to be aware of is their device because they're either staring at it, listening to it or fiddling with it. That's right. And often walk, people who are walking, who have for a long time been walking for exercise, are fitting this in, you know, in that half hour gap they have between getting out of bed and getting to work, for instance. So we're now in a, a different situation where most of us have got more time on our hands to take time with our walk and be mindful about it. So as I was talking um, Last time we spoke, Dr. Nick, about um, becoming more aware, more mindful in a, in a, um, a, a kind of uh, formalized practice, when we're walking, we can do exactly the same thing. Okay, so, so what are we talking about? What do you actually mean then? What I mean is when you're walking, to first kind of walk with intention, to... to to kind of clock that, okay, I am about to walk, right? Mm -hmm. Which we, we don't normally do. And then bring your focus to the movement of your body. So, you know, anyone who happens to be standing up or you might like to stand up right now, when we go to walk, we don't think about oh, our leg is about to raise, you know, that my heel is about to come off the ground, then I'm going to lift my leg off the ground and move it forward. It's a really complicated thing that happens there in terms of, you know, the messages going to the brain to tell the foot to move, to tell the, 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 the uh, upper leg to raise, to, to move, and our whole body goes with it. We don't normally think about that when we walk. But if we pause and actually think about what's happening as we move our leg, slowing down is a great thing to do. So, do, so is, that, is that part of what it is? We actually have to slow down the movements? Slow down, initially slow down, because it's very hard to be aware of what you're doing without slowing down. Slowing down mm -hmm. helps that a lot, right? So focus on the, the physical act of walking. What are your legs doing? What are your arms doing? Where are your arms? You know, where are your hands when you're walking? And tune into your breath, you know, what, what, what's happening with your breath? Are you aware of your breath when you're walking? Most of the time we're not. So that's the physical focus. You know, mm -hmm. Mindfulness is all about placing our focus on something that's happening right here, right now. So when you're walking, it's on the physical movement and the movement of your limbs and your breath. So having done that, the next stage is to focus on the sounds that you can hear as this is happening. Now, I suggest you go to your sound, and eventually you incorporate all your senses, but you, you go to your the sound next because most of us, um, well, people that have vision, we, we rely on our, on our vision 
as the main source of information. Generally, people rely on what they see as a source of information about what's happening around them rather than anything else. So to be mindful, it's good to, you know, kind of wind back and go to, go to your um, auditory senses and tune into what you can hear as you're walking. So if you're in the park, listen for any birds, listen for the sound of your foot on the ground as you're walking, listen for the sound of any people. You know, we're not hearing many children, but we're not hearing children in playgrounds these days. Mm-hmm. But you normally you can hear a few voices around. You might hear some traffic. But just tune into those sounds. Right, because they're happening right here, right now. And can I can I ask you, Rainbow? One of the sounds that nearly all the young people I talk to seems to be something that comes through earbuds, which they have constantly plugged in, whether it's listening to podcasts or music. Would it does it count, if you like, for mindfulness? If the sounds you're listening to is something in that format, or does that destroy the concept? You look. You can do that. I would say get them out and listen to what's out there in nature, right? Particularly mm-hmm. if you're in the park, because it's because the sound. You know, when you've got buds in, um, that they they kind of um, filter out anything else that's happening around you. You know, unless of course you're listening to a mindfulness tape. <laughs> you know. Tape says me in a very old-fashioned way. Unless you're listening, we'll to translate. A app. <laughs> we'll translate that for people under the age of forty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're listening to a mindfulness app, but you know, when you are plugged into music or to a podcast or whatever, and you're walking in the park, you are blocking out actually what is what is around you. Okay, so, so, we get, so we're going to um, recommend that people at least try doing it without, unless it's the app, try doing it without having um, headphones or earbuds in. Concentrating on the sounds, you're saying, is probably our number one for mindfulness neophytes. Um, keep going. And then bring in the smell. Mm-hmm. Now you might not be able to smell anything. Often we don't notice smell until we turn our attention to it. Yeah. yeah. So, so go with your 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 physicality, what your body's actually doing, then go with the sounds, then go with the smell, and then come to the vision. And generally, what happens with this is, by the time you get to the vision, because you have brought yourself more present, you see much more. You see much more of what is around you. You mm-hmm. see the colours in a brighter way. You see. You know the outline, the shapes of things, the textures of things, in a in a much more um, vivid way because you have already brought yourself to the present moment, which is what this is all about. Now, I just want to play the mindfulness skeptic. You said do this when you're just even if you're just walking across the room. I can imagine people who are a bit uncertain about this. You've got to be kidding. Three seconds to go across to put a piece of paper in a rubbish bin. You want me to be mindful? What is the point? What is the point? The point is that if you don't take this, if you don't take time in your day ever to bring yourself into the present moment, the day just disappears. Your mind is caught in thinking about things in the future, thinking about things in the past rather than being in the present. And if you're in the present, you're much less likely to be anxious. You're with your body rather than with the chitter-chatter that goes on in your, in your mind, in your thoughts. 
So that's a really, really important point. So just for people who aren't familiar with the concept, what do we see as the benefits of this kind of mindfulness behavior? The benefit is that it it brings you into the present moment and that is a calming, it has a calming effect because you're not being led by your mind, your worrying mind, your mind that is caught up in thoughts of all sorts that are generally useless to you, right? We have a lot of thoughts go along in our mind for which there is no action, there's nothing we can do with them. They're kind of really unhelpful and just taking up space in our brains. If you're in the present moment and, and focused on, it's all about where your focus is, and focused on what your body is doing, what your body is receiving, you know, your senses are receiving, rather than just your thoughts, everything slows down and you become calmer. And I like the, you, one of the things you said was that uh, time can just disappear otherwise. And how often do I hear people say, where did that week go? Where did that month go? And what you're saying is if those people perhaps have been a little more mindful in some of the hours of those weeks or months, it might not have whizzed by quite so quickly. That's right. And, and you know, to get to the end of a year and say, I don't know what happened to it, Yes. Where did that year go? It's probably because there was so much happening, but none of, for none of it, you were present. And unfortunately, we've been so present here, time has got away with us. Rainbow, that was just lovely to hear. Thank you very much. I shall certainly be practicing that when I get up from this microphone and walk mindfully to the door. Um, Dr. Nick, <laughs> can I have just 30 seconds? You can have 28. Go ahead. 28. I'd just like to pay tribute to Gavin Larkin's family. Gavin Larkin was the founder of Are You OK Day in 2009, and he, he set up Are You OK Day as a tribute to his father that he lost to suicide. Okay. Um, and three years later, he died himself, Gavin Larkin, of cancer. So I'd just like to pop that in because I didn't hear it earlier and I think it's really important. Amazing legacy that man has left. Thank you Rainbow, that's a really appropriate way to finish lovely to talk to you and we'll look forward to talking to you again in four weeks time Hi this is Panel Beater, thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Therapy a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page.